some time ago, there was a woman who returned from a trip to Mexico, and she got back home, came into Los Angeles, made her way home, and in the car, she heard a rattle, and she was absolutely convinced there was a snake that had gotten into her bag. So she parked the car, she got out, she called the Los Angeles police to come over and to look in her overnight bag. And the police came to, investigated, and they approached the bag with all caution because they could hear the rattle going on. And as they slowly made their way into her overnight bag, they found the rattle of an electric toothbrush. I would imagine that most of you are not fond of snakes. Can I get an amen? Yeah, I'm not very fond of them of either. Now, we know David Gotham likes snakes. Nothing wrong with that. But um, we get pretty cautious when they are nearby, yes? Yes. We're not always as fortunate as that particular woman. Valerie, 78 years old, living in Melbourne, Australia, was sitting on her couch knitting and watching TV, and she saw something out of the corner of her eye, just moved, and, and she thought, you know, ah, and so she went to brush it away, and a five-foot brown snake bit her on the arm. Julie, her daughter, rushed her to a nearby hospital, and fortunately, the snake's fangs had just punctured into the skin and did not release any venom into her bloodstream. And uh, I don't know what you would call her, but I would call her blessed. Amen? Yes. Anyone interested in moving to Australia now? If you think about it, friends, this is very much like our lives, isn't it? I mean, we're we're going on about our business, whether it's watching TV or working or or doing whatever it is we're supposed to do, and suddenly a slithering snake shows up in our lives and tries to bite us. It seems like we can be doing exactly everything we're supposed to, everything right, working, raising a family, going to church, trying to honor the Lord, and then the evil one comes and strikes at us. What kind of things does Satan throw at us in order to deceive or to dupe us? You know, sometimes it's blatant temptation, and other times it's very subtle. Anybody know how much a salad costs at McDonald's? Four or five bucks, six bucks maybe, something in that that range. Would you think $173.50? Does that seem a bit extreme for a salad? 
at McDonald's. Yet, that's what it cost Dawn Higgins. You see, she went with her daughters to Walmart, and on the way back, they decided to stop at McDonald's, and she ordered a salad, and they were eating in the car, and they were uh, having their food, and um, the salad was just a little more than she could finish, and so she thought, I'll just toss the rest of it out the window. After all, it's just lettuce. Lettuce is biodegradable, so it will just disintegrate so she tossed it out the window it's just that the officer didn't agree with her and so he wrote her a ticket for littering and to make it even worse she failed to show up in court so she was convicted in abstentia and that five dollar salad cost her a hundred and seventy three fifty Now, friend, that woman was guilty of throwing a salad on the ground. But let us not be too... See what I did there? Let us not be too quick to judge her. We've all certainly done worse things in our life. Have we not? No amens. But you've done something worse than throwing a salad on the ground at some point in your life, haven't you? Don't you wish that that was the worst of things that you were guilty of? Satan has a way of tripping us up, of tempting us to do some disgusting and nasty things. And consequently, we need Someone to save us. We need a savior. Education won't save us. Money won't save us. Intellect won't save us. Only Jesus can save us. And he can only save us if we accept him as savior and make him Lord of our life. We need to be committed to his position in our life, to who he is. Over in Matthew 16, 13, and I have to tell you, I don't think Matt knew I was going here, but I thank you, Matt, for what you said. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, "Uh, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now we look at this on the surface and it it appears that Jesus was interested in what the crowd, what the people thought about him. But was that his real intent? I would say probably not. What he was really after was this group who has been following him, who has been there, 
who has been out on the rainy, cold nights and sleeping on the ground, who has had those days where food was scarce and water wasn't available, who have heard him teach and have watched him, what he's wanting to know are, are they getting it? Because you see, Jesus really wasn't into accolades like some Hollywood star. He really wants us to get it, to know who he is. And Peter, Peter was right on target. He was absolutely convinced that Jesus was exactly who he said he is. What about you? What do you say about Jesus and who he is? I believe most of you here, without hesitation, would say what Peter has said. That he is the Christ, the son of a living God. And you would confess that and the blessing that comes with it. That word Christ, we talk about it some. Um, It's actually a a Greek, holds the same as the Hebrew word Messiah. It means the one that is the anointed one. Um, And it's usually one who is anointed for a purpose, who is set aside for a purpose. In the Old Testament, we see prophets, priests, and kings as being anointed. And of course, Jesus fits all three of those, amen? Amen. He fits all three of those. You see, he is the chosen one of God. As the son of the living God who created the heavens and earth, he was set aside to be our salvation, the savior of the world. Jesus answered Peter's and he says, I mean, that tells them in John 14 in that upper room, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him because you have seen him. Seen him how? In him, in Jesus. We're familiar with these words, right? We know that Jesus is the exclusive avenue to God, that it is through his cross, it is through his sacrifice that we are made clean. We are sinful, but we're acquitted. We are held not guilty. You see, as Christ, as Messiah, as the anointed one, he was appointed for a purpose, for a task to take away the sin of the world, which is to say, my friends, to take away my sin, to take away your sin. Rosemarie Shields a name that you probably have never heard, may not ever hear past this right now. 
Rosemarie Shields was a humanities professor at Milligan College for a number of years and uh, really almost lifelong friends with uh, my mom and dad, Rosemarie and her husband, Bruce. Uh, and and my, uh, my father actually did missions work together, uh, working out of the University of uh, Tübingen uh, with the um, Institute for the Study of Christian Origins. Uh, my father was... Um, executive director of that for gosh 25 years and uh, her husband Bruce and Rose Marie they actually spent time uh, working in Germany uh, with this group and also um, were part of the board for many 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 years and uh, Bruce and Rose Marie were both uh, professors at uh, Milligan and Emmanuel long 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 time friends of my mom, Ellen, and my dad, Jim, and our daughter, Tess, when she went to Milligan in her first semester there, Rose Marie walked right up to Tess and looked her in the eye and said, you belong to Ellen Evans. Which one are you? I can see it in your face. Now, if you think about it, somebody knows your parents and they spot you, but how about somebody spotting you because of your grandmother? <laughs> well, Tess got her first taste of what it's like to go to a college where everybody knows your family. And we do see family resemblances, don't we? At different times in their lives, a child can favor either the father or mother or maybe even a grandparent. But heaven forbid they act like you <laughs> or me. But Jesus tells us that he resembles his father. And he reveals his father to us. You know the saying, right? Like father like son yes just like his father Jesus had a heart that was full of compassion and mercy we believe that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and he is our way to approach God our father Pat Dotson believed this too have you guys ever heard of Pat Dotson? No? No? Okay. Don't worry about that. I suspected you probably hadn't heard of him. I hadn't heard of him until my phone rang. You see, Pat, in his mid-70s, was just your average, everyday Christian man who couldn't sit at home but tried to do something with every day of his life. Pat would go to one of the local uh, nursing homes, Snyder Nursing Home. And once a week, this layman would do a Bible lesson, just a little worship service for those that were there in the nursing home and couldn't get out. Lisa Gessler, 
who was about 45, was um, a home health worker that was there and working with one of the patients. And she was there this one Sunday and was in the room as Pat, this gentleman who just loved the Lord, was talking about Jesus. And when the service was over, Lisa went up to Pat and she said, you know, I think I want to become a Christian. Pat knew that Billy Frazier was there at Snyder visiting uh, one of the uh, members of his congregation. Uh, Billy Frazier, good, good preacher friend of mine. And so Billy sat down and talked with Lisa for a little while. And that's when my phone rang. Because Billy called me and said, Hey, Eric, you mind if we come over and use your baptistry? And, of course, I said, no, it's empty. No, we need to keep the baptistry full because we don't know who's going to call. I said, of course, come on over. And so I met them there that Sunday afternoon and that same Sunday afternoon, Pat baptized Lisa into Christ. That did not happen because of Billy. That did not happen because of me. That happened because of Pat. An average Christian man who loved the Lord and loved people. And in his mid-70s, is still bringing people to Christ. If, or should I say when, someone asks you, how can I be forgiven of my sins? How can I go to heaven? I trust that you are able to give them good, solid counsel of how to meet Jesus at the foot of the cross. What I'm unsure of is whether or not you'll actually do that. But you know what is needed. Friends, we must be committed to Christ. We need to reflect His life. For salvation is found in no one else. Peter said that, did he not? Acts 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And friends, it's not enough just to know the path there. We have to be a living path to people for Jesus. It has to be something that is in us that is coming out of us. It's not enough for us just to know the gospel and how Jesus lived. We need to be walking the walk that he has given us to walk. Luke 19.10, we're told that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And you know how he does that? Through you. Through me. In fact, over this next year, we're going to be working with a theme. 
It's a very simple thing. It's right there in Matthew 28, 19. As you are going. Now, in the English, in a lot of translations, that's listed as a command. That's not the command. The command is to make disciples. That first part where it says go is actually, um, it's an I-N-G word. It's a process word. Jesus says, as you are going, as you are going about your life, the command is make disciples. Which is interesting because the command isn't to go. The go is assumed. But the command is, as we are going, find and feed my sheep. Bring them into the fold. That is our task. And friends, there's something hypocritical about claiming to believe that and to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that it's our mission to go and to help people understand that. There's something hypocritical about claiming to believe that and then acting as though it is unimportant. Friend, what is your primary concern for others? Is it for their health, for their wealth, for them to have a good job, to have a nice roof over their head, or is it getting them to heaven? Jerry Arajima. Jerry Arajima. I certainly wouldn't expect you to know that name. Um, Jerry Arajima was our supervisor uh, when I was in the workaday world at Southern Cross. Um, he ran our electronics department. They actually manufactured and repaired instruments that our company sold that were used to find natural gas leaks. Okay? Important stuff. Jerry... Um, was a Marine who was out of the service, uh, learned his electronic skills while he was in the service. And um, he and I had an opportunity to make a business trip from Atlanta over to Alabama to go to uh, learn some things about some equipment that we actually distributed for another company, a particular piece of equipment that we sold. Uh, Jerry would be working on them. Uh, I would be, as training director, teaching people how to actually use this piece of equipment in the field. And so we were both there training for two different purposes, but we went at the same time. And we were there for, I think it was two nights, about three days of the training that we did. I knew Jerry wasn't a Christian. I knew his lifestyle. And I knew this would be a good opportunity to have some... You know, more than water cooler time to sit and talk because we shared some meals. We shared a room together. And I felt the nagging to talk to him, but I never really just flat out brought it up. 
I kept looking for an opportunity that didn't happen, but I did not bring it up. Jerry had his 37th birthday about a month, about a month later. Um, He had gone to a neighbor's house where there was a birthday party and he had been there, been drinking and and enjoying his birthday. Uh, Walked back home, went up to his room, lay down on his bed, and at 37, he died of a massive heart attack. I would dare say that was probably one of the hardest funerals that I ever had to attend. Knowing that I didn't speak up. I don't ever want to feel that feeling ever again. Friends, we need to be on his mission. That needs to be the essence of our living life in him. To let people know that there is a Lord that is Paul tells us, you know, we're going to be a slave to something. We're either going to be a slave to self, or guess what? God gives us the opportunity to be his slave. And what's interesting is when we choose to serve him, he doesn't treat us as a slave. He treats us as family. But Paul tells us, you're going to be a slave to yourself or You're going to be a slave to something. Why not choose God to live for him? Deny yourself. Be willing to point people to God. Take up the cross. Tell them that Jesus came. That Jesus walked among us. He died for our sins and he raised not only for God's glory but to tell us that there is life that goes beyond what we see in this world. That there is a hope that is there and there's one who not only wants to be Lord but he created us to serve him and wholeness is found. In Jesus Christ. Daniel Stearns was a a preacher in Philadelphia. Uh, After a forceful sermon on Christ our Savior, he was approached by a man who said, I don't get it with you preachers. You're all the time talking about Jesus as Savior and Savior. Why Why don't you ever talk about him as being our example? Because that's the way I see him. He should be our example. And Stearns replied to him, he said, well, if I present Christ that way, would you be willing to follow him? And the man confidently said, yes, because that's what I believe, following Jesus as our example. Fine, the preacher said. Let's look at Christ's example. Do you know where he turned? 
he turned to Peter. 1 Peter 2. And he read this verse. Verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That's it, said the man. That's what I believe. But, Stern said, are you willing to walk in his steps as the Bible lists them? And the man declared that that's exactly what he was trying to do. So, Stearns goes to the very next verse. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Can you take that step, he asked the gentleman. Is there no sin in your life? The man was surprisingly silent. Jesus never lied. Can you take that step? The man was bewildered in his silence. So we went to the next verse, verse 23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So Stern looked at the men and said, he never retaliated. Can you take that step? And the man remained painfully silent. So Stearns looked at him and said, If you cannot follow his example, then sir, your greatest need is for a savior, not an example. Friends, the world needs Jesus, the Savior. I need a Savior. We need a Savior. And He alone can save us. We need to be committed to walk in His steps, to living a cross shaped life, and to being on His mission. Are you committed to take that step today?